amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Chapter 1 of 2 Peter, just to give you a little background. Peter actually knows that it is that time of his life that he's going to be departing this world. If you look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, he said, Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. So Peter says, the Lord told him that, Peter, get ready. You're about to come home to heaven. Remember, Peter walked with Jesus while Jesus was on the earth before he died and was buried and then rose three days later. Peter was one of the fellows that actually saw Jesus taken up right into heaven. Remember that scene there on the mountaintop? It says in the book of Acts that the sky parted and the Lord Jesus was received into heaven. It said the disciples stood around with their mouths. Literally in the Greek means the jaw was unhinged. And the angels said to the disciples, why do you men of Galilee stand around gawking? Your mouth is all hanging down with, and your eyeballs are as big as saucers. I would have answered them. At least I think I would have. I mean, how many times do you see Jesus after he had died, that he rose again, he showed himself that, look, it's me. Remember doubting Thomas was like, I don't believe you guys. And they said, no, we saw him. We saw him risen. And he has the holes in his hands and he has the hole in his side. It's him. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe you guys just because you say, I'll believe it when I see it myself. And eight days later, they were gathered together. Jesus appeared again. And he said, Thomas, come here. Reach your finger there in the holes in my hands. Reach your hand in the hole in my side. See that it's me. Jesus didn't scold. He said, don't be any longer unbelieving, but be believing. Believe I am risen. Well, after they saw him, and it says through many convincing proofs, Christ appeared over and over. Multiple times we read about in the Bible to many witnesses. But at the end, before he ascended into heaven, they were there on the mountain when the sky opened up, it parted. And then it says Jesus just rose right from the earth. He just started going up. And they watched and they saw the throne of God. That would be pretty high in my spiritual book of, had anything good happened today? Oh yeah. The sky opened up and Jesus was received into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. They saw that. Now, we always think of heaven sometimes as really far away, but I think from this account in the scripture that maybe it's not so far away. Maybe it's just that we're blind to that it's a reality. It's right there. We just don't see it. How far does heaven have to be away from us? Could the Lord just be right behind like the veil of what we see as the sky and the clouds and the Lord's going, yeah, and I'm right behind this. Look, you read in Revelation, the angel said, his coming again, will be in the like manner in which he went. Well, the way he went, says the sky opened, he rose up, right? What do we read in Revelation when he comes back? The sky is rent, it's torn open, and out he comes. We're going to see that this is not like heaven so far away. It's that it's just cloaked, a different dimension. It's just right there, but it's cloaked. Like, if you're a Star Trek fan, you know it's like a cloaking device. The Lord just cloaked heaven He's right there. You just don't see the Klingon ship or you just don't see heavens right that close to us. It's right there, though. 
Now, Peter was one of the guys who saw the Lord before he died, saw him after he died and rose again, and saw him go into heaven. As he's writing this letter, he says, listen, guys, I'm going to write to you so that after I leave, after I'm gone, you will be able to call to mind these things that I tell you. You'll hear me still preaching in your ear, do what I say to do. Now, think about this. How many of us have loved ones that have already departed from this earth, and maybe your parents or your grandparents, and you can still to this day, when you're just about to do a certain thing, all of a sudden, in the back of your mind, you can hear your mom or your grandma saying, ah, don't do that, or don't do it that way. Make sure you wash this way, or make sure you do whatever it was that they said to you. You can hear their voice in your head. It's not even just the words. It's how they said it. You can still hear it in your mind. Well, Peter said, I'm going to make sure that what I tell you right now, you'll be able to call to mind. And this is something I wrestle with. Because as a pastor, our culture says, hey, pastor, come up with something new, something exciting, some really great, what's the latest buzz? And I go, well, as far as I know, I got to do what Peter said. Peter said right in verse 12, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. And even though you've been established in the truth, and it's present with you. I know it is. I consider it right, as verse 13, as long as that I am in this earthly dwelling, that I stir you up by way, not of teaching, reminder. I'm just here to remind you what the Lord already told you. God's Spirit teaches us things, and sometimes the pastor's job is just to remind you, hey, are you doing what the Lord told you? You know, you know the Lord told you to be kind to your neighbor, right? They're like, yeah. Well, are you doing it? Well, Peter, he's going to tell him, I'm writing you this last letter. Now, he knows. In fact, he's already arrested. He gets taken, and they're going to crucify him. You're one of them Jesus freaks. You follow Jesus and we crucified your master, and we're going to do the same thing to you. And you know what Peter said? He said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner that my Lord died. Could you turn me upside down? I'm not even worthy to hang on a cross the same way he did. And they went, are you crazy? That'll be even worse torture. And they went, okay, if that's what you want. And they crucified Peter upside down. They turned him upside down and killed him. And so... This letter that he writes, he writes right before that takes place. The Lord told him, you're going to be coming home, Peter. And so Peter went, okay. Now, if you have a pastor like Peter who was with Jesus, who's pastored for decades, and now he knows he's about to leave this earth, and he's got something to say to you, that he says, I want you to hear this even after I'm gone. I want you to be able to still hear me saying to you these words. Do you think what he's going to say is important? Or is it just like, let me tell you, the weather today is not so good outside the jail and small talk, talk story. Or is he going to talk the most important things ever? Because I've learned whenever someone is facing death, they don't talk small talk. They talk the matters of the heart, the real important things. They go, come here, I got to tell you something. Like some of my relatives, I spent too many years with bitterness and too many years with holding on to a grudge and divided our family and learn from my mistake. Don't ever do that. They say those things when they're on their deathbed. Learn from my whole life's 
summed up what a what mistake I made. I, don't do it. And they pass on that pearl of wisdom. That's what I like to hear what they have to say. And Peter, he knows he's about to leave the earth. So he says these words. Let me read to you what he says. Listen to the first part. Simon Peter, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those that have received a faith as the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. He doesn't just say grace and peace be to you. Like a lot of the books of the Bible open with grace and peace be to you. But Peter says grace and peace be multiplied to you. Not just a little bit, but it multiplies. Multiply. You think of something multiplying. How many like grace and peace that multiplies in your life? Keeps growing and growing, getting bigger. May it grow in your life in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You know, grace and peace being multiplied only happens when we grow in the knowledge of the Lord. That's why people say, why do you spend so much time trying to learn about the Lord? Well, where's the source of all grace? Where's the source of all peace? Is it from this earth? No. Is it from chanting some little incantation? No. It's from the knowledge of God and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. That's where all the source of grace and peace are. So Peter says, may that be multiplied to you. Seeing that God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his own excellence. For by these he granted us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in this world by lust. Now for this very reason, apply all diligence in your faith and supply to your faith moral excellence. Now if you read an NIV, it says, for this very reason, add to your faith all goodness. This translation says moral excellence. They're both very good translation of the idea but he says because god has granted to us this precious magnificent promises through the gospel you're now partakers of god's nature do you guys understand that because of what christ did we now get to partake of the lord's divine nature the bible tells us that the lord is holy and he's pure how much darkness is in god none right God is light in him that it says in 1 John, there is no darkness at all. So we've been invited to come in. John even wrote that in 1 John. He said, guys, we're to walk in the light as he is in the light. And when we walk in the light, that the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all our sin. And we get to have fellowship with one another. Because when we're being cleansed by that beautiful, pure light of God, that light is the light that shows the dark corners of our heart. Sometimes we have a little sin issue. and When you take that spotlight of the Lord, can God's light show us those dark spots in our heart? All he has to do is turn the light on and you're going, uh-oh, <laughs> didn't even know that was there. That's probably not like Jesus, that little dark, cruddy corner of my heart that wants to kill that person. The Lord's going, let me put a little light on that. 
just by his spirit, he can shine that spiritual light right on our heart. And we go, oh boy, got another area to work on. But see, in the Lord, God's light illuminates those things to help us grow. He doesn't show us the dark spots so that he can leave them there. He shows us because light casts out darkness. Light and darkness, they don't dwell well together. Once you turn on the light, what happens to darkness? Fleas. You don't see the darkness pushing the light back into the bulb, do you? Push it, and then the light pushes back, and then the dark pushes back. It doesn't know. As soon as light comes into the situation, darkness flees. Now, we were invited into God's light. And that's a, one of the safest, most peaceful places I know. When they first learn about the Lord, it's good to learn that God is light. And that he wants you to walk in his light. She said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you. To the end of the age, I am with you. Now you have the Son of God who came into this world. And John says of him, he is the light of the world. You got the light of the world, comes into your life, and now all of a sudden, man, you talk about not having to be afraid, because that light kind of drives away all the dark spookies, all the stuff that can give us nightmares, God's light just can push away. And it gives us great peace. This peace that Peter's talking about, the peace and the grace, may it be multiplied to you. Well, it really is multiplied to us when we walk in the light. And... For this very reason that you've been invited to partake now in that light. You were called by God to start to partake in his qualities. You know, God doesn't just want you to come to his kingdom and not experience all that beauty of his nature. In the Lord, God is love. Do you think that he wants you to have a taste of his love? How about, do you think he wants you to feel his light? In this world. Peter's saying. He wants you to do this. So apply all diligence. Or add. Fervently add. To your faith. And the very first quality. You need to add to your faith. Moral excellence. Goodness. That quality. Needs to be one that a Christian possesses. We need to be the people. That have moral excellence. Now in the Bible. We have stories about that. Like where guys stood up for upright morals, like Joseph in the Bible. Remember when the Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him? And he's going, I can't do that. I've been put in charge of all of his house, and you know nothing is withheld from me, Joseph said, except for you. You're his wife. And she's going, come and lie with me. And he goes, no. And finally she calls him over, and she grabs his robe. He just stripped out of his outer robe and ran out of the house. And she took the robe and laid it down on the bed next to her and waited all day till her husband returned. Joseph came in to make sport of me, that slave, and she got him thrown in prison because he wouldn't fall for her immoral ways. And then years pass that he's in jail and he interprets a dream for the chief baker and the chief cupbearer, right? And then a couple more years pass, he's still in jail. But God keeps promoting him in the jail to where the jailer is like, I don't even worry about anything in the jailhouse. Joseph keeps track of everything and everything's all in order because of that man. That, that guy's upright. They could tell by his character. Eventually, the Pharaoh has a dream and it troubles him. And he calls the wise men. You guys tell me the 
No, forget that. Tell me the whole thing, and, and I got to make sure you're not lying. And they go, oh, I don't know. There's only one guy we know that can do this. They get Joseph, and they bring him in there. And he gives the interpretation, and he winds up being the right-hand man of Pharaoh. The interpretation was, there's these sleek cows, real gaunt, skinny ones, and then there's these fat ones, and the skinny ones eat up the fat ones, but they don't even look like they gained any weight. What does it mean? And he says, God is showing you there's going to be years of prosperity first, followed by seven years of famine. And so you should take some advice from God and get prepared. During the years of plenty, you should set aside some food so that when the years of famine come, you can survive through the famine. And the Pharaoh says, well, where am I going to find a man with wisdom that could manage such a project as this? And then he goes, wait a minute. You're the guy that gave me the interpretation. You do it. And he appoints Joseph the job of sitting there and gathering all this. And you know, he only wound up in this whole stinking quagmire mess because his brothers were jealous of him and they sold him into slavery. And he was taken away to Egypt, you remember? His brothers pulled a fast one. And then what happened later? I love this part of the story. I don't know if you guys remember this, but who had to come and ask for food? Well, Joseph was sitting there at the pyramid with all the food. His own brothers. God has such a great sense of humor. You read that. That's extra credit. But it was because of his moral excellence that he would not compromise even in the area of sexual sin with Potiphar's wife that he wound up being raised up to a high position in Pharaoh's kingdom. And remember Daniel in the Bible? The overseer was saying, here, eat the king's table, all his sweets and pastries and meats and everything. And Daniel says, listen, um, we're raised from a Jewish upbringing. We're supposed to only eat kosher food. And so can we just have vegetables and grain? He's a teenage boy, but he had moral excellence. He had morals. He's like, look, my God wants me to eat certain things and I, I have to honor him. And the overseer guy was going, you're going to get me in trouble. Because if I don't feed you and fatten you up and make you look happy to the king, then it's my head. And he goes, okay, let's do a test. Feed us vegetables. Me and Shadrach and Meshach and Bendigo, we'll eat the veggies and grain, and they'll eat the king's succulent stuff over there. And you just see, like in a couple of weeks, test us. See who looks healthier in appearance. And you know what's amazing is that who wound up looking healthier? The guys that had all the meat and all the nice things and pastries off the king's table or these young men that ate the vegetables and the grains. It was God's favor because Daniel and his buddies wound up being the ones that looked healthier by following the morals that they were taught in their upbringing. Now, when it says add to your faith moral excellence, it can be moral excellence in your behavior of how you deal with others. It could be how you're taking care of your of your body. We want to just say, I don't want to be moral excellent in all the areas, Pastor. You know, that take a little bit of effort. Yeah, but Peter would tell you, if you're going to make sure that you keep on the right track as a Christian, you don't just say, yeah, I have faith, but then I, I have moral compromises. That's not moral excellence. Peter would say, make sure... 
you keep growing and adding to their faith that moral excellence. So if there's areas in our lives we're not morally excellent in, we need to tone it up. We need to get it back in line with what it ought to be. If you get fired because you you wouldn't lie and you your boss wanted you to, well, you did the right thing. Don't worry, though. The Bible reassures us. God causes how many things to work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes? What's it say there in Romans? How many things? Just some, right? All things he causes. So if you stay morally excellent, don't worry. God is going to look out for you. And he might just need to be steering you away from a bad job or a bad boss. He might be going, I'm protecting you because you don't need to be there. I got something else for you. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m., on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. There was a time when the Lord had to go out and face the devil.
Just no way that we can hide from Satan.